Hello and welcome to A Week for the Books, the podcast where each episode will delve into a new book to discover its themes and messages. I'm your host, Tyler A. Burr, and this week we're diving into the classic Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. Have you ever had the deep desire to do something you knew was wrong? Have you ever longed to have an alter ego so you could do whatever you like without suffering the consequences? Most people would say no because they don't want others to look at them disdainfully, judgmentally. This thought is at the core of the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Throughout this story, you'll see themes of morality, good, evil, discovery, science, madness, death, murder, intrigue, friendship, and inner struggle all explored. The story opens with one Mr. Utterson, a lawyer, reviewing his old friend Dr. Henry Jekyll's living will. He takes issue with a certain clause within the will. Dr. Jekyll, despite having been friends with Mr. Utterson and the local Dr. Langan for a great length of time, has elected to leave his estate, should he perish or disappear, to his, quote, friend and benefactor, Mr. Edward Hyde. Utterson goes to Langan to discuss this development. Jekyll's old friends have no clue who Mr. Hyde is, nor have they ever seen him. Yet, Mr. Utterson believes him a fiend of some imagining. However, it's during that meeting that Dr. Lanyon conveys to Utterson that something about Jekyll is very wrong. It is more than ten years, said Lanyon, since Henry Jekyll became too fanciful for me. He began to go wrong, wrong in the mind. So Utterson decides that he must find Mr. Hyde, determining that if he could but once set eyes on him, he thought the mystery would lighten and perhaps roll altogether away, as was the habit of mysterious things when well examined. He might see a reason for his friend's strange preference or bondage and even for the startling clause of the will. Utterson encounters Hyde, but the experience didn't go quite as planned. He's met with hostility, secrecy, and a door slammed in his face. Though Utterson did succeed in convincing Hyde to show him his face, what he sees is the subject of several repetitions throughout the story. Quote, the man hardly seems human, something troglodytic, shall we say. Or can it be the old story of Dr. Fell? Or is it the mere radiance of a foul soul that thus transpires through and transfigures its clay continent? Upon meeting Mr. Hyde himself, Mr. Utterson's cousin, Mr. Enfield, says the following. Hyde. He's not easy to describe. There's something wrong with his appearance. Something displeasing. Something downright detestable. I never saw a man I so disliked, and 
yet I scarce know why. He must be deformed somewhere. He gives a strong feeling of deformity, although I couldn't specify the point. Hyde's appearance is perhaps best described this way. The few who could describe him differed widely, as common observers will. Only on one point were they agreed, and that was the haunting sense of unexpressed deformity with which the fugitive impressed his beholders. There was something hauntingly wrong about Mr. Hyde, but no one could figure out what it was. However, Mr. Utterson would soon learn how close he was to the truth when he said, Is it the mere radiance of a foul soul that thus transpires through? Interestingly, the word that continually describes Mr. Hyde is deformed. Yet we see in the story that it isn't physical deformity that plagues him. Hyde is described as short in stature and of darkened pallor, but aside from that, his figure isn't grotesque. He looks, walks, and talks like a regular human being. This is vastly different from the depiction presented by the media. Pop culture likes to depict Mr. Hyde as humanesque, with monstrous features. Sometimes he has claws, sometimes he has pointed teeth, sometimes his skin is green. None of that is true to Stevenson's description, though. According to Stevenson, Hyde is completely human. More human than we would like to believe, in fact. As many know, Jekyll and Hyde are one in the same person by means of some chemical concoction imagined by Dr. Jekyll himself. Once the mixture is made and drank, Jekyll or Hyde undergoes a horrific transformation in which his skin turns jet black, his features melt and alter, and so transforms into either Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, respectively. But why? Why was he taking this chemical draught and transforming into another man, especially one perceived as being both suspicious and malicious? The answer comes from Jekyll himself. He was exploring the duality of man. I learned to recognize the thorough and primitive duality of man. I saw that the two natures that contended in the field of my consciousness, even if I could be rightly said to be either, it was only because I was radically both. And from an early date, even before the course of my scientific discoveries had begun to suggest the most naked possibility of such a miracle, I had thought of the separation of these two elements. These two elements, these two natures, are that of good and evil. What Jekyll was intending to do was to separate himself into two beings, one good on one evil. If each, I told myself, could be housed in separate identities, life would be relieved of all that was unbearable. The unjust might go his way, delivered from the aspirations and remorse of his more upright twin, and the just could walk steadfastly and securely on his upward path, 
doing the good things in grace and penitence by the hands of this extraneous evil. It was the curse of mankind that these incongruous human bundles were thus bound together, that in the agonized womb of consciousness these polar twins should be continuously struggling. Jekyll admits that he succeeded in separating these two moral twins, and in doing so, he discovered something interesting. The evil side of my nature, Mr. Hyde, was less robust and less developed than the good which I had just opposed. This, too, was myself. It seemed natural and human. At first, Jekyll's transformations are controlled by drinking his chemical swill, but he soon found that transformations were happening at will. Hyde's will, that is. I began to spy a danger that, if this were much more prolonged, the balance of my nature may be permanently overthrown, the power of voluntary change be forfeited, and the character of Edward Hyde become irrevocably mine. While most remember that Dr. Jekyll transforms into the notorious Mr. Hyde, most don't seem to understand what Jekyll is transforming into. It isn't just a man. Jekyll found a way to separate his good and evil natures. Jekyll is the good, upright nature. Hyde is the notorious evil nature. Remember what Utterson said about Hyde's deformity? Is it the mere radiance of a foul soul that thus transpires through? The answer to your question, Mr. Utterson, is yes. All who encountered Mr. Hyde declared that he was hiding some deformity, and in truth, he was. He was the undiluted, evil nature of a man. There was no good in him to balance him out. His conscience and countenance did not take the natural form of the rest of humanity, which harbors both its good and evil natures within one being, struggling against one another. Hyde's moral disposition was misshapen and unbalanced. The end of the story is rightfully dramatic, but you'll have to read the story for yourself to see how it all plays out. Thanks for tuning in to A Week for the Books. I'll catch you next time.